All right, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Wes Fryer, and I teach... Well, I've never had anyone with Google Glass in my class before. How wild is that? You know you're in a really geeky place when one of your students has a Chromebook and Google Glass. Um, I teach fourth and fifth grade STEM at Independence Elementary in Yukon, Oklahoma, and I live in Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, I've loved coding for a long time. I'll date myself. Uh, first computer, Commodore 64, wasn't my own. Math, de- math department had it, right? Because all the math departments got computers first. So what did you do with a Commodore 64 in 1981 and when you're in seventh grade? You, you wrote basic programs. Any of you remember the excitement of the program 10, print, quote, this is so cool, end quote, 20, go to 10, woo! So exciting. And I remember um, my parents bought a Zenith computer, um, and I was, you know, coded a little bit, and I remember learning the importance of not using the same file name and how easy it was to erase, because I'd had this program I had worked on just for like, I don't know, months and months and months, and, and one night... I thought I had it open, and it was a blank program, and I saved that, and oh, it was gone, and there were no backups. So uh, I am a really big fan, and and some of you got this already. There's a QR code if you want to grab the slides, and I just tweeted out the link as well with the iPadpalooza hashtag. Um, I'm recording this, too, although I might just end up sharing the beginning because I put a few slides together, but the majority of, of what I want to do is play and give you a chance to play, and that's the, the best thing with Hopscotch um, is to, like Scratch or some other programming applications, uh, create and share and have other students come up and, and do the same thing. So that's kind of my plan for the session is to uh, share a few ideas and then Uh, give you some challenges, but basically have you open the app and play with it. So if you haven't downloaded the Hopscotch app, it did update on May 5th. We'll talk about the Scratch, or the Scratch, the Hopscotch 2.0 version. And um, anyway, we're, (laughs) it's one of these things where, hey, guess what? The app's changed. So, um, but there's, there's all kinds of great stuff to figure out. And that really is, I think, the key for coding. And we'll talk about a little bit of the why for coding is, um, You know, problem solving, figuring stuff out, computational thinking. The feedback loop is different when you are trying to have an object move across the screen or interact with another object in some way. It's different than art. There's creativity involved. There's a lot of creativity involved. But it's a little bit different than than drawing something when you don't have that same kind of a feedback loop. So to give me a sense of where you all are coming from, how many of you are primarily elementary? Anybody primary elementary? Okay. Yay, elementary. Uh, Anybody uh, middle school, junior high? All right. Secondary high school folks? Any higher ed folks? Probably not. Uh, Anybody K-12? Anybody like a tech coach or coordinator? So we're all kind of... Okay. Well, very good. Um, How many of you have used Hopscotch before? You've played with Hopscotch? So about half. Um, And how many of you are planning this next year to do some coding with your students. Okay, so probably a lot. All right, so over half. Well, today I'd like to talk a little bit about the why. I probably am talking or preaching to the the choir, as we often do at technology conferences, about stuff like this. But there may be some resources and some things that uh, might be new to you, uh, but we won't spend tons of time. I definitely want to talk about Code.org because I have, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a computer programmer. 
Um, I knew enough at the Air Force Academy. We had three different Pascal language things, and I got into like the hardest one or whatever. But I took that, and that was it. I never, you know, I never thought I was going to become a, a teacher. And, and coding has just always been something fun. I will admit to you that my Eagle Scout project was writing a DBase three plus program for the time and talents at my church, so they could take the survey results and ideally, you know, type something into the keyboard, not the mouse, mind you, and you know, be able to say, look, here's all the people who want to usher this, you know, this semester. But um, coding has always just been something fun for me. Uh, now, as a STEM teacher, it's um, something that I want to introduce all kids to. I do not believe that everyone is you know, going to make their fortune as a coder. I think that's kind of an interesting thing about some of what we hear in terms of STEM and coding, because if you look at actual income, there are folks. That, there was an NPR article or you know, program <clears throat> the last couple months I listened to, any of you have kids who watch Twitch TV, the gaming, like YouTube? Um, it, it's all playing games and, and watching you know, folks play games live online. And there's this fellow who uh, is, is living in Montana, you know, in a beautiful place, but he has connectivity. And so, you know, he's, I, I, I'm, I can't say exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was over 50000 a year that he was pulling in. But he plays games all night, and then he sleeps in the day, but he lives in Montana. I mean, these people are, you know, they do exist. And my son, who's 16 and loves Minecraft and Scrolls, which is another Mojang game, you know, primarily watches these YouTube videos that, that I think older mainly males, um, are creating and putting online, and there are folks who are making making a living to it. It's, it's interesting, but I think everybody can benefit from coding and the problem-solving process, and I, I think it's one of these things we want to introduce kids to, not to say you've got to do this for four years, but you need to do this a little bit to have a taste of it, so part of that core curriculum idea. So we're going to uh, mention a couple ebooks that are available uh, for, for hopscotch and coding, um, specifically, and then I'm going to offer up some challenges and we're going to spend time playing. So, why STEM? Anyone have a STEM program formally in your, in your schools? We're unique in, in UConn Public Schools having a STEM program. Last year was the third year, so every fourth and fifth grader is required to go to STEM class. It's not for gifted and talented only. It's not just an elective. It's not just an after-school club, although I did start a maker's club this year um, after school on Wednesdays. And there are more schools looking at STEM, but having certified teachers full-time teaching like PE, music, and art is, is different, right? And so I'm in the, the specials rotation with those other teachers, and there are a whole lot of reasons why I think STEM is important. Um, yes, we talk about job-ready, workforce-ready, but STEM lends itself really well to hands-on learning. I already mentioned computational thinking, which is a big concept that I probably first heard Mitch Resnick talk about, who is with the MIT Media Lab and is heading up the group that does Scratch. My favorite quotation from Dr. Resnick, who I do not know personally, I've just seen him at ISTE a couple times, is that Scratch has a low bar and a high ceiling. So actually, why don't we do this? I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to your neighbor. What does a low bar and high ceiling mean? All right, go. Take about 60 seconds. Low 
able to. All right. So low, how, how do you explain low bar, high ceiling? So I, I think it means a low bar means it's easy for anyone to learn, but a high ceiling means you can take it and do unlimited things. With yep, it. exactly. And it's, I love this. I love, one of my favorite examples to show is Scratch, because a lot of times when people will see Scratch, they'll think, oh, that's for the babies, right? Mm-hmm. And so I pull out the fireworks you know, program, which that was not written by a fifth grader, because there's trigonometry in it that is well beyond what I could do today with sine and tangent and cosine. And so, yes, you can step in with a variety of skill levels and and background, but, oh my goodness, there's just great, amazing stuff you can do. Because if you have variables and you can do some conditional logic and you can have things interact as you can with hopscotch, as you can with scratch, there's some really cool stuff you can do. And I, I love Ikea. In fact, I got to have dinner with Wendy last week when we were in Dallas. My wife and I had to make the requisite visit to Ikea. One of my favorite things, because we don't have that in Oklahoma. One of my favorite signs that I've seen in Ikea was, like, creativity thrives in constraints. They didn't maybe say that exactly, but that was the idea. You have a small space. You can get creative. And even though Hopscotch has limitations, Scratch has limitations, that's great because there's... You know, a challenge to figure out, well, how can I do that? How can I figure out how, you know, to make what I want to have happen, happen in this environment? So there's all the workforce stuff. There's real important gender equity issues. There's math anxiety. Um, You know, gigantic reasons why we need to help young ladies as well as young men just get fired up about you know, problem solving and using math and doing it in context and not seeing it as this isolated thing that we just go do on paper that has no connection to the real world. It's connected to the real world and it can be fun and cool. I mean, that's that's really a big a big thing and I think that's one reason for, for STEM. Helping kids solve problems, I mean, pro- and, and people of all ages, right? How much of life is solving problems, you know? One of my goals, my son, who's the oldest in our family, is 16. He's in Berlin right now, actually, and he texted me on Viber this morning and told me that his ATM card isn't working. Whoa, what a wild world it is. So how much of life is problem solving? You know, I hope our kids can go to college and and get out of undergraduate debt-free. Oh, my gosh, is that going to be a challenge or what? Uh, How do you decide where to go to college? How do you decide what you're going to do with your life? How many choices do we have today? Just go to 7-Eleven. It's overwhelming. How many drinks are there? You know, we live in an amazing world of choices. And so I think that having a specific focus on problem solving, even if it's in just one unit of your class or it could be for your entire class, is absolutely wonderful because we need to celebrate the the problem-solving process. We need to help kids get better at it. We need to move away from working in just silos independently and recognize that much of the work we do in the world is collaborative and requires us to, you know, play well with others. And so being able to work on a team, accomplish a goal, communicate what you have done, what you want to do, all of those things are really important. And it's fun. So there you go. That's my little... I just want to make one comment on that, too, especially uh, with girls. Uh, The complaint I hear from students a lot is that, I'm like, I don't want to do this for a living. Right. 
there's so many jobs out there where you don't do it for a living, but you have to be able to talk with programmers and work with programmers and, oh, gosh. and, and so forth. And that's getting more and more so every day. And being conversant in a little bit of what's behind the scenes can be really important and powerful, right? There's a lot of um, superintendents I've noticed in, in some school districts who abdicate responsibility for decision-making when it comes to technology. Oh, I don't know that. I'll just leave that to the tech department. You know, how about school finance? How convoluted is that? You know, do they say, oh, I don't understand that finance stuff. I'm just gonna. No, you have to get in there and try and understand it. And so it's important in all fields. I think these skills are going to benefit you wherever you go and whatever you do. And that, that's a great point. I, I really see myself as a salesman and a marketing person to try to hook kids with this. Uh, we started with Minecraft EDU this year. And I've used Scratch before, but Code.org was, was huge in introducing. And, and Hopscotch is something else. Does everyone have an iPad? No, they don't. Do some of my kids have iPads? Yes, they do in their family, in their household. This is a free app, and if I can hook them, then it's really cool. It just warms my heart when they'll, look what I made, Dr. Fryer. Oh, I played a topscotch last night. You know, that's great, because there's so many consumptive things that we can do with technology to do creative things, especially things like hopscotch that require computational thinking, and, and your brain's got to be on. You can't just be like, you know, angry birds, you know, kind of in passive mode, you, you've really got to be applying yourself. I know Angry Birds gets tough in higher levels, but, you know. Yeah, there are. That's true. Not to offend any of the Angry Birds fans. But I, but I think that if you, uh, in my next session on visual um, note-taking, we're going to look at some, the, the uh, February National Geographic had a great section on the brain and how little we really know as we're trying to map the brain. If we could, you know, helpfully map the brain and see the neurons firing and, and it, you know what is what is happening I think that'll be really interesting at some point hopefully not in a scary and creepy way but I mean to see what's happening when I'm playing um, you know a, a game because there are a lot of complex things happening but if I'm having to figure it out hello if I'm having to you know make those decisions and if I have that maybe it's very similar you know depending on the game but certainly, I guess, it would be different than probably watching television, right? right? So, yeah, playing games and having to figure stuff out is, is tied to what we're talking about here. The passivity of more consuming rather than creating is what I want to help kids see that, that we can do and we should do. That's fun. Any other comments anybody else has about the why or something that I didn't mention or that you mentioned when you're... Do you feel like you're in a battle for hearts and minds with this kind of thing in your community, or is everybody sold on it? What do you have just for the, like, what does the curriculum look like, STEM, do you Right, so, so we, we do create our own curriculum. Uh, we haven't uh, adopted a formal curriculum. One of the things that I, I started this last, and I just went back in the classroom in the, in the fall, um, I had I, I was doing independent consulting for five years, and my wife dreamed of medical benefits and a reliable paycheck. So <laughs> hey, here we go. And it's but it's been a real wonderful blessing. And uh, the other teacher at our other four or five, Amy Leffelholtz, and I started a, a group called STEM Seeds to be sharing lessons. And so we are doing uh, basically monthly 
Google Hangouts and then uh, sharing you know those lesson links and things because what I crave more than anything are ideas you know and so we've learned about you know engineering is elementary and some other things but it, it's a we put it together and we did a little two day free workshop two weeks ago in Yukon and had um, about 19 area teachers come through and there's just there's not much offered in our area for STEM and you know people people are more interested in it now do you all have a, a curriculum that you said you don't for for STEM or yeah some some are and there's some that, that you can a, a, adopt um, I it's it's both a blessing and a challenge it's certainly not a curse the blessing is wow freedom today I mean in our academic environment you know standards our governor three weeks ago just signed the bill to make law that we get rid of Common Core which we've been working to implement for three years in our district you know it's crazy um, and there's all kinds of mandates but in STEM we have a lot of freedom and you know that's exciting and wonderful at the same time it's a challenge to not have a curriculum guide that the district has handed and so that's why collaboration has been essential and I want to keep you know keep on collaborating because there's just fantastic ideas and hopefully you'll get some today um, how many of you participated in the hour of code with students last year so the hour of code was you know is this challenge to try to at least have an hour of students time you know during that that uh, week that they are coding and there are some offline coding activities I didn't do any of the offline stuff we had iPads we had a computer lab uh, but computer science education week is kind of where that came from but out of that as well came this awesome website code.org how many of you have used code.org and are aware of this so this may well be even more significant than what we're going to share about hopscotch and play because code.org has a variety of different tutorials that not only work on a regular browser but also work on the iPad and when students log in um, they are able to progress much like Khan Academy and if you create an enrollment code which I'll show you in a second you can track their progress you can reset their password which is gigantic for me right we always have kids who forget their password but they have this opportunity to keep learning beyond class because it's always limited in terms of how much time we have and what we get to do face to face. So I really think that the, um, the code.org website and the resources that have come as a result of the Hour of Code are phenomenal and it offers the best tool to introduce kids to programming. And that's the way I introduce my students to coding. Um, after I learned about this in the second semester, I have 11 classes each semester. So when I got new kids in the second semester, that's how we introduced it. And then we went to hopscotch and to scratch. Um, I, I have a couple videos in here, but I'm not necessarily going to show them uh, depending on what, how many of you have seen this video, what most schools um, don't teach. Okay, so that's about half. So I'm not going to show that video. Um, watch this video. Share this video because Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and who's this guy that um, invented Valve? Um, you know him? Gabe, Gabe, yeah. Uh, and um, anybody know about Steam? Yeah. Steam is ginormous in yeah. the world of coding and I mean and, and then we've, we've got you know women, we've got men. It's a presentation of, of folks 
talking about their early experiences with coding, a little bit like I told you with the Commodore 64, where did it start? You know, like really humble beginnings, and I don't have a you know, million dollar Fortune 500 company, and I'm not Chris Bosch, you know, playing for the NBA, you know, but it's great to hear these different perspectives talking about modest beginnings and then where that can go and why we need to introduce coding to kids. It's really an excellent, an excellent video. Um, I have a website for my STEM curriculum, and if you came in a little bit late, I'll, I'll put the link up here in a minute do a QR code so you can get to these slides that are on this Google presentation. But all of my resources and curriculum are on this site. It's just stem.westfriar.com. And in the sidebar, I have links to each of the different units. And there's one that we did on iPad coding. So my students are fourth and fifth graders. So we, we did not really do much with Codable or Daisy the Dinosaur. But I did introduce the students to... Um, I'm trying to say it was with, with Codia, um, Cargobot. Cargobot. How many of you are familiar with Cargobot? So Cargobot was programmed with um, Codia entirely on the iPad. And easy, hard, what do you think about Cargobot? Hard. Hard. You know, and some of my students, when I introduced them, were like, this is too hard. You know, and they're just, I want to go to something easy. That shows you know, the level of thinking sometimes that kids are wanting to do. I want to turn my brain off rather than on, you know, and it, it, it's more challenging to solve problems rather than do something that is a little bit more mindless. So, anyway, there's, there are different resources there that you can check out. Um, have you seen Moonshot Thinking? Okay, I just saw this last week at the, the Google Summit that the EdTech team did in Richardson. This is, this is now my favorite video on YouTube, so it's two minutes. And I think this says the why for coding far better than I can. So we will, we will watch this one, assuming our wireless is all good here. is wonderful, inspirational, poetic, beautiful, involved, great technical challenges, genuine heroism. It brought the world together. But think about the Polynesian Islander on the dugout canoe, deciding one day they were going to go that way. No one had ever been that way before. No one even knew there was anything that way before. It was amazing. And it changed the world. People can set their minds to magical, seemingly impossible ideas, and then through science and technology, bring them to reality. And that then sets other people on fire, that other things that look impossible might be accomplishable. Galileo is such a hero, you know, in thinking big, and what he represents to me is both curiosity and wonder that humanity had that he had that pushed him and drove himself to invent and work on the first telescopes that allowed us to see the moon and here we are. These aviation pioneers were figuring out as they went. No one really knew how to build an airplane, right? No one knew how to fly an airplane. It was amazing and crazy and wonderful and they wanted to explore. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallard, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it? He said because it is there. There's so many challenges in the world, and you can feel daunted. 
daunted by that, you know, and sort of oppressed by that, or you kind of say, how might we think differently about this? Everyone else in the world is working on the next 10%. If you can be the one that delivers that 10 times improvement, you have a chance to really change things. If you want cars to run at 50 miles per gallon, fine, you can retool your car a little bit. But if I tell you it has to run on a gallon of gas for 500 miles, you have to start over. You need a lot of courage in this work, and you need a lot of persistence. One of the things that's really critical is not only have the courage to be drawing every day or thinking big, even if you don't really 100% believe it's possible, like you might think this might be possible. Have the courage to try. That's how the greatest things have happened. You don't spend your time being bothered that you can't teleport from here to Japan. Because there's a part of you that thinks it's impossible. Moonshot thinking is choosing to be bothered by that. Progress has been a series of amazing, audacious things from the very small and personal up to the great, big, and grand. And we are a species of moonshots. And to me, that's like the really amazing poetic inspiration. I think our ambitions are a glass ceiling of what we can accomplish. When you find your passion, you're unstoppable. You can make amazing things happen. It's been true throughout history. I believe in the human spirit, and I believe that there are always going to be crazy people who will get out of bed one morning and say, you know what? I think I can build a space elevator. I mostly wouldn't do it. But I think that if we become afraid to take these great big risks, we stop inspiring people. We stop achieving things. And the biggest nightmare scenario is that we won't have what it takes to solve the really big challenges. Said that we would put a man on the moon. It's about the fact that he said, We don't know how to do this yet, and we're going to do it anyway. And that sense chills up everybody's fun. Because if that happens, what couldn't we do? Okay, talk to your neighbor. What does that have to do with coding? Anybody want to share a thought? What does this have to do with coding? Problem solving. Problem solving? What else? Well, we were talking about learning to fail, being comfortable with failure, and mm -hmm. understanding that that's part of the process. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Right. Starting and without even knowing how you might get there. Right. And, 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 and a lot of kids, that's really And being willing to take risks both as teachers, you know, and for students, modeling in mm -hmm. a mindset that, you know what? Hopscotch just updated to 2.0 on May 5th. The book I wrote that's on Amazon has screenshots that are all old, but you know what? We figured it out. Let's go. You know? So I love I love that. Love that video and encourage you to share that with your kids. Code.org, I learned from my friend Bob Sprankle, who teaches uh, elementary technology in Wells, Maine, that you can go to code.org slash um, well learn and you register as a teacher. But then you get a code. It's an enrollment code like you can use for Moodle or KidBlog has this where, you know, with the secret code, you join the class. This is the way you want your students, in my opinion, to join. They go to code.org and join. They put in your code. I used one for my fourth graders, one for my fifth graders. Why? Because then when you log in as the teacher, you can see all the recent activity. This was a screenshot last night. So 13 days ago, Liz was online finishing uh, level four, and she uh, got 100%. And I can even see her code and, and click and not only see the blocks, but it'll you know execute the code. Awesome! It's really, really cool to be able to do that. And you can reset the password. Let's not forget, you know. 
passwords are kind of the bane of our existence sometimes in uh, the computer lab or working with technology. So know that that is free. Know that it runs on iPads. And know that, yes, kids can just go register on their, their own, but if you register first as a teacher, you can create as many sections as you want, and then kids will sign up with that enrollment code, giving you the benefit of seeing their progress and being able to reset their password. Love that. Uh, in fact, and I'll just say one more thing about that, maybe if I can go backwards. Um, this was the best way, I will do it again this year, to introduce coding to my students. So I've, I've used Scratch with students for, for several years. I've been helped with Scratch camps that we've done, you know, spring break things and um, some summer, summer Scratch camps. And it's challenging to figure out where to begin, right? How do I start? Like, how many hundreds of blocks are in Scratch? There's a lot. And there's good curriculum that, that MIT and others have shared, but Code.org... Um, you know, just kind of starts at the beginning and it uses Plants vs. Zombies and um, what else? Not only Plants vs. Zombies. Angry Birds, yeah, there you go. We're talking about Angry Birds. It's fun. It's engaging. Yeah, the, the, it's Angry Birds and Plants vs. Zombies, right? And you learn how to code, but then it leads you on to more advanced levels and then there are you know additional resources and uh, there are videos that are in interspersed. So, you know, depending on your grade level, may or may not seem like it's the best as you start, but it quickly gets challenging. And the fact that it's free, it's it's trackable, and it this this resource is being you know contributed to by a variety of different companies, and, and it's you know probably just going to get better from here. <clears throat> Very transferable to other programming languages, not not just Scratch, but Hopscotch as well. Being a being a block based. Um, iconic, you know, programming environment. So, if you don't have Hopscotch already, I encourage you to download it now. We are going to get into Hopscotch and basically uh, end up playing and, and sharing for most of the rest of the session. Um, I went ahead and created an ebook in November last year because I didn't want to do a lot of direct instruction about Hopscotch. How am I going to do this? How are my kids going to know what to do? Because they haven't, you know, used this before. And so, at that time, I did not really find a lot of resources as far as curriculum. Um, I used a app on the iPad called Creative Book Builder. Creative Book Builder is not free. It's like $3, but more so than Book Creator, which is my favorite record your voice app, Creative Book Builder um, lets you get things from a variety of places, your Google Drive, your Dropbox, and it will create a standard EPUB versus just an iBook, you know, form, you know formatted or iPad-only EBook. So I, um, anyway, and so that was kind of fun. And then after I made it, I thought, well, why don't I share this? Because, you know, other teachers may, may like it. And about a month ago, it's just another kind of crazy thing for technology, I got a tweet from a teacher in Pretoria, South Africa, thanking me, saying, hey, we've been using Hopscotch, and it's awesome. Thanks for your book. I'm like, woohoo! That's so cool. So uh, you can download it just from Dropbox. Um, I put it on Smashwords. It's actually a little interesting. To get a book free on Amazon, you have to take a risk that they could turn off your uh, account, because you can't list it for, for zero dollars. You can just list it for 99 cents. But if you put it somewhere else, like Smashwords for zero, and then someone tattles on you, which in this case I wanted, you know, they reduce the cost to zero. So anyway, you can download it uh, right from Dropbox for the, for the iPad, or if I love Kindle. I read all the, you know, most of my e-books uh, from Amazon, actually. Don't tell that. 
not Apple. Um, <laughs> but um, I wanted a support for student student learning, and then the two the two basics which we're going to do today are collide games and math art. Okay, so those are two things that you can do with hopscotch. You can you can make sprites move around when you tilt, and you can make things happen when they collide. And then sort of like Spirograph, or if you think back to the early days of Logo, you know, creating geometric figures using the pen tool, going pen down, um, you can, is that, is that scannable? With this? I want to grab it for some reason. I want to grab it. I'll see you. I didn't. Oops, sorry, so I have my hand right over there. Now I got it. Okay. All right. Well, in here, actually. Did you, did it work? Uh, actually, I just completely screwed up. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, and if you're not using Enigma, that Enigma is definitely Enigma you may is you may need to turn one. it. Does it go sideways too? Look at that. It even does it sideways. So usually with QR codes, I will put them with a little more white space around. So I don't know. I'm not sure why. Here, just try to spin it. So um, if you if you want to go ahead and download that, even though Hopscotch has changed and there are differences that we're going to see really quickly here about the actual blocks that we're going to get, um, you know, it's still enough to be helpful. And now that Hopscotch is updated, I've got to update my book. So I'm going to be working on that this summer. Hopscotch updated to the version 2.0 on May 8th, and I have not worked extensively in the new version, but I think I like it. You know, any time things change like that, oh my gosh, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing, and now it's changed. You're, you get thrown for a little bit of a loop. But I can see where these changes are going to make it even easier, uh, more approachable. We were talking um, before. Tell me your first name again, Lyndon. Lyndon was talking about Swift, that's the new Swift language for, for, for iOS. iOS. You know, and the idea that um, programming languages, in, in that case and others as well, are being written to be more approachable and, you know, be a bigger tent. So more people can come in and program and code. You can see how they've done that with Hopscotch as well. So another resource I want to draw to your attention, uh, which is not free but I think is also good, is Paul Hamilton's book, Teaching Students to Code on the iPad. Paul is a, an ADE in Australia. His Twitter handle is PaulHamilton8. And so that's a book that I've picked up. And it, it has lesson plans, and it's not just limited to hopscotch, but it is a, it's a good resource. And Paul is doing a lot. He's, he's done a lot of video tutorials um, about hopscotch and uh, other coding resources as well. And I just I made that a hyperlink, so it's a little challenging for me to click to the next slide on this one instead of going on to the next one. I'm still using an iPad 2, by the way, and I'm starting this summer to really have iPad Envy. I'll just admit that. Do you want us to uh, pass around the hat? No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm still on an iPad 2. Is the rumor October? I mean, is that what we think, the new iPads? Or we don't know. Who knows, right? Whatever it is, it won't fit with our purchasing for the next school year. Well, and my cart has 30, yeah, 30 pin, you know, connectors. And so... Um, but the good news is all the apps that we've used and tried to use on our iPad 2s, which is what I have in my classroom, have been great, and we haven't had, had issues. 
the other um, resource is this part of simulation or game. Uh, the last couple of years I've been working on a mapping media digital literacy framework. Uh, and um, I did bring, I, I found teachers like books, so I, I actually have paper books, but also uh, download cards or like iTunes, iTunes gift cards. You can buy one today for $5 off if you want. But um, the website is just open and free, and you can click on any of these products and see what it is, what a workflow might be to create it, what are tools you can use to create this, and then examples of student work. And so um, I've been teaching graduate classes to students through the University of Montana and it's basically an educational service center up in uh, Missoula. And we've, I've taught classes on the first six products, which interactive writing through narrated slideshow, that's what this book is about. This spring I just taught a class on three more products. We did quick edit video, ebooks, and simulations or games, and that's the book I'm doing this summer. So uh, it won't be by ISTE, I guarantee you, but by uh, the end of the summer, my goal is to have that second book in the series finished. You can go to simulations or games now, though, and see some amazing Minecraft simulations that kids have created, you know, touring through the mich a mission in San Diego and um, Jamestown and, um, you know, scratch programs and things like that. Because I really think one of the best ways to get our heads around this is to look at examples of student work. So, last thing, I think, before we start to play is this little walkthrough and another Twitter shout-out to Sam Patterson. Um, he is a great, great educator to follow. And uh, he is one of the only folks I know of who has done a walkthrough of Hopscotch 2.0. So, I'm going to play this first. And this is a bit... Well, kind of advanced. We're going to we're going to create a game. Um, he's going to talk about challenging his uh, primary age elementary kids to to create a game, and that's where we're going to go first with our with our playing or with my challenge to you is going to be to create a collide type game where you bring in two sprites or objects and then you're going to have them interact. So this is about I think maybe three minutes. We'll see. <clears throat> I'd like to welcome you to the. Don't tell me that. <coughs> Try again later. Okay. You ever have this happen? Uh, ever. <laughs> okay. So let's try again. That's right. <laughs> Maybe we'll just play it in in the window. You to this one. I'm gonna risk it. Come on. Go. I won't do that again. I use um, Air, Air Server. I don't have an Apple TV in my classroom, so th this is actually a more stable and seems to be... All right, we're just going to watch it small. That's 2.0. In the new version of Hopscotch, you're going to manipulate objects directly on the stage. So you can add objects directly to the stage, move them around. If you click on them, you can create rules. You can choose what event is going to trigger an ability. Now, from a blank screen, you just hit your plus, you add your characters or your text, and then you're going to create a rule. You click that to an event, like shaking it, tilting the iPad, and then it links to abilities. Once you create an ability, you can apply it to any character. Here we're walking through the add a block, and once you do that, you'll see what it looks like, Hopscotch 1.0. 
Here are all of the block commands, still color-coded. One of the biggest changes is the ease to edit, which you can add a variable. If I click Create a New Ability, and then I go to Set Value, that allows me to create a value. For example, in this case, we're going to create a score block, and I can use the Set Value command to increase that score by one every time the space pod bumps into the monkey. Now, with that knowledge, you're going to go design a game. You're going to design a game with a hero, who's going to try to get through a maze, get to something. You're going to choose what the hero does to make sure there are many bad guys and have a good way to keep score. You're going to be using variables. Be sure to ask me if you have any questions. Okay, this is, this is fairly challenging, right? Uh, there's, there's some complexity to this task that he's, that he's giving us. So um, let's play with, with hopscotch. And uh, for those of you, if you didn't uh, come in early, here is the QR code if you want to, to scan that. And while some people are scanning that, how do you introduce coding right now? Does anybody have um, uh, a strategy as far as getting kids going with it and, and jumping into it? We, we, we do it um, mostly we, we relied on code.org at the very beginning of the angry Okay. I used to do it through Scratch, but actually I feel like code.org precedes Scratch in terms of learning how to Especially because it, it hits right away, it teaches you how to do a repeat command. Right. Gets and scratch kids can go forever, not, never finding that out or even trying. So, right. Um, I, that's, that's sort of the new thing. And before that, we were using, I was just using an old version of Lobo on computers. Really? Uh, that, that ran on the, uh, just like a desktop software? Yeah. Wow. So I would do logo before that too for the same reason because you have to sort of learn that as a programmer when you make a mistake it's you not the computer. Right. The kids are always like, oh, the computer's not working. I'm like, well, actually, you need to reread. <laughs> okay. Anybody else on your your introduction strategy for coding? Anybody else? Do you start with your fourth and fifth graders, and then do the older middle school kids? No, I just have fourth and fifth graders. Is there a? Do they continue on? Is there? There is a sixth grade class that has has technology, but uh, we're yeah, yeah, we never meet, so I don't know. (laughs) We've tried, Um, but the the hope is that we'll have some vertical alignment. One of our seven elementaries has a K three STEM teacher who does scratch and introduces kids to to this. But in fact, those are like my favorite thank yous or their art that they've drawn about. Thank you for introducing us to Scratch. I I showed it to my mom. I played it with my you know my sister. Um, so, but we're not vertically you know all the way through. But that's the hope is that there'll be you know continuation and for students that are fired up by coding, you know, and they can take some programming classes when they get into high school. So the kinds of activities that you're doing with the fourth and fifth graders, if we have sixth, seventh, and eighth graders that have no exposure. It's, it's not going to be too. I mean, it's just high bar, low ceiling. Well, high bar, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep, I think it's it's yeah. great for that reason. And they'll just go faster. Right. So before I open up Scratch, I'm going to go ahead and go to my iBooks library and open up Hopscotch Challenges. So again, this was the book that I created in November with that with that version of Scratch or of Hopscotch. Uh, created this though all on the iPads. This was my first 100% iPad created book and. Um, in the table of contents, you can kind of see I go through the basics, 
And then I think tilt control is the most sort of fun, cool thing to start with because you can't really do that on the computer when you're in the lab. It's tilt. You use the accelerometer to move stuff around. And then we get into this um, math art, you know, drawing circles, drawing polygons, and doing repeating polygon art. So we'll take a look at what this looked like in the old version of Scratch, and then we'll, we'll see what it does now. So lots of screenshots. All these need to be updated. Um, so uh, you've got blocks over on the side that are in categories, and you drag those blocks over. And like um, Sam was saying in his video, I like to use the word trigger. These are triggers. When the iPad's tilted down, what do you want to do? And we're you know immediately, like with Scratch, talking about X and Y coordinates. One of the differences is that the coordinate, um, this may be in Hopscotch Basics. Yeah, that's where this was. Um, when you get into the coordinate grid, yay, look at that. Hopscotch uses a coordinate grid that's similar to Quadrant <coughs> 1 for coordinate geometry. All right? If you're used to Scratch or even Minecraft EDU, I can tell you, although the Z, Z coordinate is, it, they, the, the X and, X, Y, and Z are assigned a little differently. Minecraft, the world starts and 0, 0 is in the middle. Okay? Um, Scratch is the same way, where 0, 0 is the origin. Hopscotch is different. You're all in quadrant 1. So there aren't negative numbers for X and Y. 0, 0 is the bottom left corner. And then I just was looking on this version. It's 1024 pixels wide, and it looks like 768 tall. And so that's your you know, coordinate space that you're going to be operating in. But, but this is one of the coolest things about using these coding apps. One of my favorite stories was going in, uh, just having started third grade, my daughter Rachel, who will be in fifth this year, but she had been to scratch, this little scratch camp we did, and my wife met with the teacher, and, and she was telling her how Rachel knew this about negative numbers, and she doesn't know where she got that. And my wife said, well, I do. She was just in scratch camp, right? Because she just had to make the sprite go to the left, and that was negative. So that kind of, you know, math where it, nobody said, ooh, you can't do negative numbers. You're only going to be in third grade, you know? Love that. That's just great. So these kinds of triggers where, you know, when a, when a, a play button is tapped. That's kind of like the green flag and scratch, right, when I start the program. Um, you've got other things, though, when the iPad is shaken, you know, when it's tilted, those are all triggers, and you've got these different objects, um, and you drag them like Lego bricks over, you know, into the, um, the, the programming area. Um, got some hyperlinks in here. If you don't know, Lucy... Um, she has a, a great website called Hopscotch for Younger Learners. So, and this also, I think, is, this is a Google site, but this is, um, you know, they just updated Hopscotch. So, but it's a, it's a good resource. And she's got some, some nice lessons where she breaks it down, making your sprite dance, creating a dance party. Um, she's got some, you know, videos and some tutorials and things like that here, uh, sharing your code. So that is a great resource. Um, learning about vocabulary, opacity, um, you know, degrees, we're rotating things. And I just somehow exited the book, so. Okay, uh, let's take a look at Collide Games, and then uh, we'll jump right into Scratch. So uh, collision events, pretty, pretty easy. Let's have two objects. Uh, let's let you control one, and then let's let the other objects uh, move around by itself. So 
This is what I like so much about having the ebook. I have I had QR codes around my room. Kids could scan the book, open it right on their iPad, and then they could refer to it. And you know, students tend to be very dependent on the teacher. They don't come to us usually, okay, hey, I got this, you know. No, it's what do I do next? Where I'm lost. What what what? And so trying to encourage them to be independent is a, is a challenge and I found that having an ebook like this was helpful uh, in that respect. So some of these blocks have changed a little bit, but we can um, you know, create a circle with a repeat block, leaving a trail, and doing some simple rotation. You know, This, yes, constructivism is great, but also sometimes kids have no idea where to start. So having blocks that they can look at and copy and then modify is, is a really good thing. So starting to draw polygons, how many repeats do I have? What are the angles going to be depending upon how many repeats I'm going to have? So that's right here. And then kids can kind of use that as a recipe. You know, here, make an octagon. Try that with 45 degrees. So, you know, set an initial location. You're going to repeat six times, leaving a trail. You know, move a distance and then, and then uh, rotate to get to the end. Then, repeating polygon art. And so what, you know, as you play with this, you, you realize is that instead of 30 degrees, when you use 33, or when you use 93 instead of, of uh, 90, you can end up with some, some really fun uh, results. And then the last thing I think I've got in here, one of my students figured out how to add emoji icons and then even recorded a video. So we can click on this and see how long this is, but... how this is going to work. We'll try one more time. This isn't an actual embedded video that you'd watch in... Okay. So how do you do this? How do you get this icon in Hopscotch? Um, you... Go to your settings. Okay, show to us, please. You go to your settings, and then you get on general, and you go down to your keyboard, and you see how I only have one keyboard? Well, you hit add new keyboard, and you go down to where it says emoji, and then you have it in your keyboard. So then when you, then when you go back to hotspot, you're going to add new character. You go to text object, and this will pop up, and then you have to hit the right here. So that's a keyboard selector? Yeah. Okay. And so then you have all these that you can see. Okay. <laughs> so you think your kids will like that? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Can you do a quick script for us real quick with it? Yes. So what, what, what script did you just grab? Leave a trail. Leave a trail? Okay. And repeat. So you're kind of looking at what you did before? Yes, so I can have the both. Right. So rotate 
And getting kids to not just do random things, because that's what yeah. some of them will do too. They'll just put random things in there and hope that it's just magical. And sometimes that creates interesting effects, but a lot of times it doesn't. So it's important to have some examples and some suggestions. Did you make an octagon? Did you try a square? And, and I love that kind of thing where students are able to share. They become the expert. They can get up and teach and then, you know, get out your, get out your phone. You know, we've got permission, uh, with except maybe six of our kids that, whose parents didn't want us to share, to uh, be able to, you know, share their work. So, hopscotch, break it out. Um, let's play a little bit. I'm going to just show you, uh, show you a little here, but encourage you to just be, be playing along. These are all different programs that have been created on this on this iPad. Um, now some of them came with it like and there's there are some fancy ones. Uh, this Sun project. Kind of neat. So those are letter characters and the elliptical formulas for those letters somewhat approximate <coughs> although there's a much bigger difference between the inner solar system and the outer solar system, I think. But that's kind of cool. Um, so you can certainly be inspired by some of the projects that you'll, you'll find in here. Uh, let's see. I think this is one. This is just kind of a cool one, drawing pictures. And we, they, this particular one, the student did not make the um, sprites disappear at the beginning. You can make them opaque at the beginning, but this is just using the pen tool. So like Scratch, let's tap Edit. And then let's see the code that makes that project work. Now, this is an old Scratch project that's kind of been updated. You're welcome. So, um, but the, the blocks are still there as far as setting line color and width and a loop where we're leaving a trail and we're going to repeat. And this was something where they did just experiment with, you know, different degrees. That was really cool. And that kind of thing, when everyone, when people see that, how did you do that? You know, let me do that. And, I mean, kids... In the best lessons, which does not happen all the time, but in the best ones, you know, kids are just dying to get up and be able to share what they've created. And, you know, there's this, they're inspiring each other, and I'm no longer, you know, really teaching. I mean, it's, I am, but it's, it's different. So here's um, just a simple collide. Um, let's, let's just start with a, a blank new project and kind of see how this, how this works in the new um, hopscotch. So you've got a plus here where you're going to choose your object. So I use the cupcake a lot. And instead of having code blocks immediately visible over on the left, you have a trigger prompt. So this is kind of wizard based. It's going to walk you through trigger action. So give cupcake a new rule. What do you want to have happen? Well, let's start when the iPad is tilted to the left. We'll start with that. What do you want to have happen when it's tilted to the left? Why don't we go for a walk? So if we say go for a walk, start, immediately when I start to tilt left, there the cupcake is, is, is animated, and it also went off to the right, but I wanted it to go to the left. So I need to tap edit, tap my trigger, and then over on the right side where it says go for a walk, there is a pencil, and that's where I get my blocks. 
and I can make modifications. So I think they've done this so that you can even more readily jump in and start having interesting things happen. Uh, what do I need to do to my orange move block? I want it to move left. What do I need? Neg ne negative number, right? Yeah. yeah, so I just need to put a negative. So I'll put negative 50, do the check mark. As you heard Sam say in his video, it's really nice how you've got access to this random right there and then new value. So that's cool. It was a little, little bit more difficult, not quite as intuitive when you wanted to add variables and things like that, which we can talk about. Click the little checkbox here if you want to return to this screen, but you can also just test your code by clicking the play button up here. Oh, and look at that. Cupcake's going to the left. That's awesome. So that's, that's a way of just you know, testing this one block before you go to um, the, the whole uh, you know, program or, or script as a, as a whole. So now I start. I'm moving to the left. That's great. So what do I need now? I need another script so that when the iPad is tilted to the right. So I'm going to tap on my cupcake again and give it another new rule. This time it's going to be tilted to the right. And so this time, uh, go for a walk should work. So that was to the right. So there's left. Oh, it doesn't. Do you know why? It's because the um, ability is is global, okay? So once I define that ability, go for a walk is going to maintain that negative, that, that positive. So what I need to do is actually define <clears throat> another ability, okay? Because I can't be using the same script to go both left and right. So how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to say when the iPad is tilted to the left, Instead of go for a walk, which goes to the right, I'm going to create a new ability. Now I've got to code it. I have that example code already in there, but I've got to come up with it. So I'm going to go to control flow and pull out a repeat block. And um, how many times did it repeat? I don't remember. Five, I, I think it was five, and then the distance was 50. Yeah. Uh, we can go back and look. And, but this is the iterative process, right? Try right. it. See if it works. Go back, you know, switch it. So um, move 50, and then I think under appearance, change pose was in there as well. Okay, so I'll kick the little plus here and see if that works. Yep, goes to the right. Uh, but that's actually... I think I want this one to be minus 50, Oops. and I'm going to call it uh, walk left. So you name your you name your ability, okay? Okay, so that's walk left. And let's take a take a look at our go right and see how that's doing. Yeah. Okay, so now I can move left and I can move right. Go ahead and do this. If you, if you don't have your hopscotch out, go ahead and open it up and do this. And uh, my goal for you is that, and we've got about 20 minutes for this initial one, is we're going to have a couple objects. And I'll, I'll keep on walking through this, and you can watch me, but you know, jump in and start doing it. I want you to be able to tilt control your sprite, and then I want another sprite on the screen that when they collide, something interesting happens. So... Um, I obviously need to add an up and a down, but I'm going to go ahead and add another sprite with a plus. So my monster is going to be Mr. Mustache here. 
And you can see that when I drag it around the screen, I can see the coordinates. I really, really like this feature. Because before, you had to um, pull the screen down to see the grid, and you'd move the object. But this just, this really seems to be more intuitive. And I kind of like how the, the objects are sort of ghosted. Where, uh, you're, because they might not you know, be completely visible, or they might not be that size when they start. So for Mr. Mustache, I'm going to have him start in a random location. So I'm going to say when the project is started, that's like scratch, when I you know, click the green flag. And I'm just going to create a new ability for him. And I'm going to call this ability random start. So he's just going to start in a random place. And so um, I'm going to set his position. And it's going to pop up X and Y, but instead of putting that in as a fixed number, I can drag random. So, ah, I'm already starting with random numbers here. And my X goes up to 1024, so I'll say maybe 1020. And my Y, I'm going to do the same thing. I want a random Y, okay? And we'll go 1 to 750. I think it goes up to 768. So now, every time I hit start... Mr. Mustache should start in another location. Okay, let's see if it works this time. Yes, he did. He started in another location. Now, it'll be more interesting if he moves. Okay, so let's do another rule for him. Actually, I guess we could do the same one because this is still when the project starts. So I want him to start in a random spot, but now I want him to start moving. And this is why it is nice um, to introduce the repeat blocks like code.org does to be able to see how that can work. So let's uh, repeat this, you know, 500 times. I want him to start moving, okay? And I'm going to have him move uh, maybe 100, um, move, move 100 units at a time. And, um, okay, so let's see what, see what that does. So he's going to start moving around. I can't see the screen. Okay, <laughs> sorry. So he, he starts moving around, but he needs to bounce when he hits the wall. So this is going to be another trigger. So that was just when it starts. What happens when he hits the rule or hits the wall? When Mr. Mustache, Mr. Mustache bumps the blank, uh, what do you want to have happen? Um, so I wonder how I change. Okay, I think that it doesn't show that text. I think it's bumped the wall, and then what do you think that last one is? Bumps the cup. That's the cupcake. Okay, so that would be when they when they collide. What do I want to happen? That this actually isn't very user friendly because it doesn't even show the whole text there. I wonder how I can get it to show that. It doesn't it doesn't look like it wants to. Okay, when he bumps the wall, what do I want to have happen? Um, I'm going to call this uh, wall bounce. Okay, so I could say. Um, you know, simply rotate 30 degrees, but I kind of like randomness, so let's go between 1 and 45 degrees. So he's going to turn some something random, and maybe not 1, that's not going to be very interesting. So let's go 10 to 45. So pick a random number between 10 and 45, and then bounce. So now, Mr. Mustache is going to start zipping around my, uh, my stage here, and... Because I didn't do a fixed number, like 30, he's not going to just have a fixed pattern. He could get into a fixed pattern depending on where he starts, but a little random, random there's a little interesting. Okay, so now we got to decide what do we want to have happen when they collide.
So, new rule. When Mr. Mustache bumps the cupcake, what do you want to try? What, what, what do you think? Act like a balloon, animate, break dance, draw a triangle, jump. Act like a balloon. Okay. So I don't even know exactly what that does. Let's just see it first. Oh, there it goes. It looks like it just oh, it's open then wait. Oh, look at that. That's fun. Wow. Smaller because it hit him again. Yeah. So what is still out there? He's, so he's there somewhere. Yeah, even when he gets to be smaller, okay. And that is true. With with hopscotch, your your objects are always there. They can be opaque and therefore not, or they can be invisible. The opacity can be set to zero. We learned that. Talk about that vocabulary. Um, let's see what what that script is. That looks like an interesting script. So I think that's part of the reason why they've done this wizard-based thing. Is a student's probably not going to come up with this, <laughs> you know, as quickly. So, wow, what, is, what are they doing? He's going to repeat three times and then 33 times, growing by a little bit, and then it's going to shrink a little bit. It's going to wait. Wow, oh my gosh. And it sets the speed and it rotates. Man, that's, that's kind of... But you can see with just repeat loops, yeah, that's, that's, that's fun. It's going to act like a balloon. Okay, so let's try something different. Um, instead of act like a balloon... Um, I'm just, I'll, I'll create my own ability. That was a lot fancier than the one that I would do. Um, I think I'm just going to make, I think I'm just going to make it rotate and get really big, okay? So um, I'm going to do a repeat block. So maybe we'll repeat this 50 times. And this is, you know, part of the figuring out how, where do you think we're going to get, make it bigger? What would it be? Movement, drawing, control, appearance, values. Probably appearance, yeah. So there it is, grow by. And so immediately, you know, we're using math. And by the way, if you don't want the block, you can just drag it over to the left. Like, like Scratch, you trash it, you just drag it over on top of the script. So that's how you can get rid of those. So 50%, um, um, I could go with, I guess. Um, and just to make it a little interesting, too, let's do a little rotation. Okay, so we're just going to have it spin and... Uh, grow. Okay, so let's see what that does. So Mr. Mustache is still going to be bouncing against the wall, but when I touch him, <laughs> so your response was was just so quiet compared to kids. I mean, yeah. the excitement of oh my gosh! That's why showing these kinds of, of tools, if at all possible, I love to have students present and participating because adults will see that like. Oh, okay. The kid's like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I mean, their level of enthusiasm is off the chart, but we're like, yeah, okay, that's, that's okay. I've seen that before. Um, I mean, it's, it's dramatic. And, and if you want to help hook other teachers, as I do, to this kind of thing, have kids. Exactly. It's like magic. A lot of times our expectations of what's possible are far lower than they should be, and kids exceed them. Just like that student showing what he can right. do with the moji, right? And then when they jump in and do that, and we will quickly feel, teachers will quickly feel like beginners, and like, whoa, I just, you know, it's not that you can't do it. You haven't done it, you know. Remember when you first went snow skiing, or water skiing, or roller skating, or ice skating, or, you know, you did something for the first time where you were not feeling comfortable with everything that was happening, similar with, with this. And I, I love the dynamic when adults are impressed, and then adults, especially teachers, 
see this math and they recognize they're working with negative numbers. They're working with, you know, conditional loops. They're, you know, doing these things that the kids don't know the name for them. But this is, this is why Seymour Papert invented Logo. He studied in France with Piget, I'm told and I've read, where Piget noticed kids would appropriate language at a young age very quickly because they were surrounded in it, right? It was what they needed to use to communicate. Papert, the father of educational technology and Logo, wanted languages and environments where young people would breathe math. Math, what you need in order to get sprites to move across the screen. You know, I get goosebumps talking about this. Because seriously, it is exciting. This is not normal for how we do math in school. Normally, it's separated, it's abstract. You know, we'll do some hands-on things, but it's not just part and parcel of the way you do things. And in hopscotch, like in scratch, you can't avoid math. You know, you have to know some things about coordinate, you know, geometry, degrees, and it's cool. It's cool to know it. Just out of a point of that interest, uh, I once taught uh, quite a few years ago a combination algebra 2 for regular kids and computer science. And what and I gave them skeleton code and everything, but they basically were coding a lot of the same things that they were doing in their math class, you know. And I tell you, it was just, you know, fun to see the kids light up and it's like, oh, that's why, you know. And they were really getting it. And unfortunately, my principal told me at the end of the year, we can't do this class again because the math teachers are really upset about this. And they're like, no, we're not going to learn programming. We're not da-da-da-da. And this is t- going to take our jobs away, you know. <laughs> and so we didn't repeat it. But uh, well, it really helped. These kind of things lend themselves really well to after-school activities. If you don't have at your school an after-school opportunity for a coding club, we called ours Makers Club. And because we had Minecraft EDU and I had so many, you know, wild about Minecraft, we did more Minecraft than I want to do this next year, but if, if you can get this dynamic happening in a classroom, and I'm not trying to pretend like I do this all the time, I don't, like as far as this working with kids, but especially with my fourth graders, and the dynamic of the room is different too, right? Who takes to this? Who's going to come up and show? I mean, it is like magic. The kids are dying to get to the front. They do not want to leave. And it's even, I mean, I'm getting excited about it right now, thinking I've got to do this earlier in the year. I can't just leave this till the end, because what are they going to self-select when they have a chance? They may be hopscotch, you know, instead of something else. We, we, we do enrichment clusters at one of the schools, and um, so one of the clusters is um, Scratch. Okay. And um, so one of the things that was helping, because, again, we're carving on time. This is enrichment. Um, so teachers are working with kids for 90 minutes on the kind of passion projects. Right. Um, and so and so as they select this piece, then we're starting to highlight that and blog on it and kind of share that with staff. That's awesome. So what's really neat about that is what it ends up is they start asking questions. And what's, we do a showcase at the end of the six weeks where the kids show their work and the staff kind of goes through it and talks with the kids. So it's not a problem right. at all. It's just kind of like, go talk with them. See, ask them questions. And now I'm having four or five teachers saying, hey, can you come in and help mm-hmm. me kind of get this started? I want to integrate this with our, our math project. I saw how you did with the X, Y axis, and we're going to be covering that content. And I think that this is a, a really great way to kind of bring it to life. 
Um, so I think it's kind of be like slow and steady to kind of change that that shift, make that shift. But having some like learning artifacts kind of helps. And and unleashing the kids, right? Absolutely. If there's a way that the kids can be up front, they can be teaching because they will set each other on fire with this far more than you or I can. Exactly. And it's not an insult. It's not to say we're not capable, we're not smart. I'm here and I know more than you. It's just like my old kid right now. She's four years old and she shows me things that are you kidding me? But as long as I'm okay with them teaching me, as we go, you just have to have a good or proper respect. Right, right. I teach robotics, and this is going to be fantastic right here. Being able to integrate the iPad with this, because we use NXT old uh, and Mindstorm. Mindstorm. Mindstorm's EV3 right now is that, it's not that old, old NXT. But it's blocked. I'm trying to figure out the rest of the I'm trying to find is how to get the verbiage of second real code mm-hmm. out of that. Okay, exactly. Are you trying to get it to go up and down? Yeah, right as well. Yeah, just to second shake it. Right, right. Because you you got to do all the other ones. See how on mine I just added tilt up, down, left, and right. Okay, it doesn't go in the other direction. So you have it. So just customize those. Okay, that's all. Right, and, and you've actually got to add those. I was just trying. Yeah, I was just okay. Yeah, you got to you got to add them, and it's only giving you the beginning. Go for a walk just goes to the right. So you've got to add a new behavior to make it go negative if you want to walk left. And, and that's what this one's supposed to do. Well, okay. So but, but you wouldn't do when shaking. You wouldn't do when shaking. What you, what you do for your code is um, so X out shaking. Because this is, uh-huh. and then, well, and then, okay, you did when project started. You want to do, you want to do when it's tilted. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you tilt it left, up, down, or right. Yeah. And then, and then it's going to respond to you and your input. Okay. The, if you do when project started, that's like a green flag. When the green yeah. flag. Okay, like a scratch? Yes. Okay. And, and so... What's nice about this is it can quickly get to that point where that balloon's going all over the, the um, screen, but the behaviors aren't pre-written for move you know, tilt left. They're going to have to put that code in and then start thinking about you know x and y going up and down. Um, real quick, let me show you uh, one other thing, just as far as the, the geometric shapes. So I'm going to go back to the hopscotch tips and uh, you know drawing a picture and so we'll uh, take a look at um, let's see drawing polygons and what that script looks like so you know you can start in a particular position but it's just a repeat and then you're moving and rotating when you're leaving a trail so let's let's see what that looks like in in new hopscotch and we could do this in the same project uh, or we could do it in a different one. I guess I'll do it in the same one. So let's get this monkey in here, and let's give him a rule. And this time we're just going to say when the project is started. So for something like this where we're drawing a picture, we just want it to go. Uh, let me just try draw a triangle. Again, this is going to show uh, what is possible without having to do much code. All right? 
And these other guys are a little bit distracting in here now, so maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll delete them. But you think it's okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's look at the code. Tap the monkey. Tap draw a triangle. And let's tap the little pencil beside draw a triangle. There it is. Repeat three times. Move with the trail. Distance 300. Rotate 120 degrees. All right. And remember, you can go back to your handy dandy. Scott's Challenges book, and there are all those angles. So if you want to do, um, you know, an octagon or whatever, let's do an octagon. Let's do 45 degrees. So I could I could modify. Uh, can I modify the script? Rotate 45 degrees. How many times am I going to want to rotate? Eight. So let's play that first. Hmm. What's going on here? Why does that look messed up? It hit the wall, right? So how can I reduce my distance? Change my move. Instead of 300, let's go 50. And let's hit play. So again, now we are just seeing the preview of this one script. We're not seeing everything else. So let's go a little bit more than 50. Because you then drop the image, like just... Put appearance outside of the end, and then it Absolutely, the absolutely. Under appearance, let's set invisibility. That used to be called opacity, which I kind of like. I like that term. But yeah, kids understand invisibility more. So set invisibility to what? Zero or 100? 100. It's invisibility, it's not opacity. So now the monkey should disappear first, and it just draws. Okay? True, true. So now let's let's start you know tweaking this. Let's let's not repeat eight. Let's repeat eight hundred. And now let's set the speed to faster. Let's go at a thousand. Okay. Um, now if I don't change the angle at all, what's going to happen? It's just repeating on the same thing. So that's where it's exciting to rotate at a different angle. So let's just go forty-seven and. Let's set this to 2,000. Okay. And now let's see what happens. Oh, how cool is that? We've got a repeating pattern. Okay. So now, oh, that's kind of a boring color. So let's go to colors, which I thought was under appearance. You see colors? Maybe it's under drawing. Yep. Set line color and set line width. Now, do I need those to be inside my script necessarily? Not, not really. Not unless I want them to change. Um, but it's okay if we do. So let's set that uh, width to 5. And now I'll play it large screen. Okay. And, and there's many, many other iterations that you can do. So, uh, just the beginning, but I think that a collide game and, you know, creating polygons, creating art, it's amazing to me how exciting... How excited kids will get. And that's, that's fine. Getting them excited is fun. But what are they excited about doing? Figuring stuff out. Coding. Teaching each other. Coming up to the front. You know, teaching me. Showing their, their neighbors. That is the gold, you know. And so as a teacher with an iPad cart, when I learned about hopscotch and I realized that Scratch would not run on the iPad, I was elated because 
I, I, I don't know how they fund this. I don't know what their you know deal is. They've just with the upgrade to 2.0, they were featured on the Apple iTunes Store, and they've you know gotten some really positive attention. So hope they're going to keep on going for a long, long time. Um, last thing, I guess I need to share, and then we're we're pretty much out of time. There there are ways to share your scripts. So after you create that. Uh, you can go to the community and you can see featured projects and you can see popular projects, which is awesome. This was not in the earlier version, but this is like scratch, you know, to be inspired by what other folks have done. And then there is a way that you can share your project as well. And I think it's this cloud here. So if I tap on this cloud, show the Hopscotch community what you've done, and you can put a title and it'll upload it. And so they're doing some gatekeeping to be able to hopefully avoid inappropriate things being there. We haven't run into anything. Um, but that is, that is pretty awesome to not only be able to create this on your device, but your kids can share it. They can see the code that you know, other people did and have this. My, my son's tenant, he does Scratch, and he really does like the community in a sense where he can... You know, he'll do something and put, and put it up there and ask questions. That's the, mm-hmm. For me, that's the big thing. It's kind of like, I'm trying to do this, and I keep running into this wall, and then others will come back and, and mm-hmm. respond. And it's been really a great little, you know, he knows that I have to sit next to him when we're doing this. But for the most part, um, you know, it's been a really nice community where they're building and trying to work and trying to help each other. Um, so, yeah, I hope, I hope Scott and um, they do the same thing. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I teach high school computer science where we, you know, have to write the code and everything. And it's interesting because I'll get kids that have come in and in the earlier grades, somebody somebody's been scrapped with them and everything, and they'll, sh- they'll want to show off their projects and so forth. And that is so cool, you know? Absolutely. And they're my best coders, too. Well, last thought is, please, please connect. I'm W. Fryer on Twitter. I love to, you know, see what other teachers are doing, uh, be able to share projects, amplify student work, with permission, of course, from parents and kids. Create videos like that. Get your kids to teach. You know, you don't have to show their face and even identify them, but being able to really uh, edify and sort of hold up and celebrate students as they're learning stuff, you know, and their their learning isn't doesn't have to just be limited to your classroom and to your school. And there's so much inspiration. Like I said, how crazy is it that somebody in Pretoria, South Africa, said, "Hey, thanks for the ebook. You know, we've been doing hopscotch." awesome. That's good stuff. And it'll only get better as, you know, we encourage more teachers to collaborate, to connect, and especially to get their kids involved in doing this because the kids are the real fuel for the, of, of, of all this. You know, we, we can get excited, but our excitement is, is nothing compared to what it's like for students who get on fire for this. And adults and principals and board members pay attention to excited kids in this context far more than they do excited adults. So I think it's a part of the whole school change movement too is you know, getting kids to be the advocates because they're, they're fired up about what they're doing and they want to share it. And when they're doing this kind of thing with code, you know, adults can pay attention and we can help them say, did you know that wouldn't come in the curriculum until fifth grade or until you know, so-and-so? And anyway, it just gets good conversations going about these products. So thank you all very much and have a great day to your conference. Thank you. Really neat.